Pulls up the three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. Welcome to the MVP cast from me, Mark Woods. Thank you so much, as always, for your company on the podcast. First word about our new partners, Odds Index, who will be bringing you odds and insight on the NBA on a daily basis. If you want to get tips, get insight from me and others, you can head to oddsindex.com or follow Odds Index on Twitter. Now, who is the world's most famous basketball team? Well, even the Lakers or the Bills would probably have to concede that it's a team that's never played a competitive, and I'm using that word advisedly, game. And of course, it is the Harlem Globetrotters who are back in the UK over the next couple of weeks as part of their spread game tour. It all starts in Sheffield on Saturday night. If you've never seen the Globetrotters, I honestly do recommend it. It is so much fun. And if you didn't know, the team with a huge link to the UK, founded all the way back in 1926 by a Londoner, Abe Saperstein, and they haven't stopped bowling since. So I'm delighted on the podcast. We've got a true Globies legend joining us, Sweet Lou Dunbar. Thank you for joining the MVP cast. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. Good to be talking to the people of the UK, one of my favourite countries. Well, we'll be delighted to talk to you. I mean, as I said, the Globetrotter's been around since since 1926. You, you've been there for, for a long time now. That's a fundamental question. What makes a great Harlem Globetrotter? Well, first of all, a, a good basketball player is the first thing that makes a good Harlem Globetrotter. And a person with great character also. And you also need to be a people's person. That's one thing about the people that we have. They're great athletes, and they have great character, and they love people. So that's what makes a great Harlem Globetrotter. You would go back. You've been a part of this this organization since since ninety seven or sorry seventy seven. Pardon me. Um, how did it come about for you? What? How did you end up? You know, sporting the famous uniform. Oh my goodness! Well, after I um, left the University of Houston, I went to Europe. I played one year in Europe in Lugano, Switzerland. And uh, there we won the Swiss championship. And then I came back home and um, I joined the, had, had a free agent contract with the Houston Rockets. And when I went to play in Los Angeles within the summer pro league with them. And there a guy from the Globetrotters invited me to the Globetrotters training camp. And I tell you, the rest is history. It's been some 45 years now I've been with this organization. What was the first impressions of this? Because, you know, you, we, we all grew up watching the Globetrotters or Cena or even, you know, as a kid, I was watching the cartoon series and all that. <laughs> what, what was your impression of, of this from when you, you get a peek behind the curtain? <laughs> well, you know, uh, first of all, you know, those being my childhood heroes, man, uh, it was something, something great. I never thought I'd be a guy from a small town in Louisiana touring with the world famous Harlem Globetrotters, and I had the chance to play with my childhood heroes. Metal Lock Lemon, I'm sure everybody in the UK know that name, and also Curly Neal, and then my very second year, I played with the great Marcus Haynes, so it was that was the cream of the crop for me to be able to play with my childhood heroes, seeing those guys doing those things, and being able to be on the basketball court with them. 
I mean, you mentioned those three, and amazing players. And Marcus Hines, one of the, the best dribblers of a basketball that we've we've ever seen. And, and I'm going to throw another two names that have been globetrotters, which will surprise people. Connie Hawkins and Will Chamberlain himself, who was, who was a who was a globe earlier in his career. I mean, I, one of the things that I always get asked when I talk about the globetrotters, for friends who don't really know basketball, are these guys any good? I mean, you, you guys must get that sort of question all the time. You know, people probably underestimate the the quality of players that have come through this organization over the years. This is so true. And when you say Marcus Hain is one of the best dribblers, Marcus Hain was the best dribbler. I mean, I've had uh, the opportunity to see some of the all-time greats, and nobody did it better than Marcus Haynes. And for you to name those NBA legends, Connie uh, um, Hawkins and Will Chamberlain, hey, when they got the opportunity to play with the Globe Charles, Will Chamberlain said it was the best time he ever had playing with the Harlem Globe Charles because he got a chance to, you know, show his skills off and show the world and doing the best he could be, being the best he could be. And these guys have tremendous talents. I mean, uh, at one point in time, there wasn't a lot of places for black athletes to go, if you recall. You know, it was either NBA, even before the European League started. I mean, there was only the uh, NBA or the Harlem Globetrotters of black athletes, you know. I mean, it seems appropriate and, to kind of touch so, on that point when we're in the middle of Black History okay. Month. Because there was obviously a long time when when African-American black players couldn't play pro, couldn't play in the NBA or its predecessor leagues. I mean, this has been such an important franchise, hasn't it, for for players of color to to develop their skills, to, to get opportunities right from the very start. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, um, it, it finally came around. The, the NBA finally figured, hey, listen, these guys can really play, play the game. And I don't know if you know it or not, but in 1948, when they, the Harlem Globetrotters played against the champs of the NBA, which were the Minneapolis Lakers at that particular time, and they had the great white player, George Mikan, and the Globetrotters beat them. And everybody said, oh, well, you know, that was a fluke. So they played them again in 49. And at this point in time, Marcus Haynes and those guys put on a show at the end of the game, and they beat him again. And at that point, they didn't play him anymore. And so, as you know, the first black basketball player that played in the NBA was Sweet Nat, Sweet Water Clifton, who came from the Harlem Globetrotters. So it was about that time. Did you find that, even at the point where you were coming in, that you know, you've grown up seeing these guys and there were role models there and you know the NBA wasn't as big at the even at the point when you came in to, to, to even when you were drafted by the, the Sixers did you sort of sense the importance of culturally of the Globetrotters and, and what they brought for for basketball oh my goodness yes uh, uh, I was still amazed about the things these guys did under some duress I mean didn't they have the greatest of conditions doing the things that they did but if you see some of the pictures from the 50s, uh, 40s, these guys was always impeccably dressed. You know, when you, they was dressed to impress. And, uh, you know, and they, was, they weren't making that much money. And, and they were just doing what they loved to do and getting the opportunity to do what they loved to do. And uh, as you say, the NBA wasn't that popular at that time. Another fun fact for the people in the U.K. that 
when the NBA wasn't that popular, they invited the Harlem Globetrotters to play and before the NBA game, so they had a double hitter, so they could fill the stadiums. And what would happen was, after the Globetrotters would play, people would leave the arena. So what they had to do was change the format and let the NBA play first, because they knew they were going to stay to see the Globetrotters. And a lot of people don't realize what a shot in the arm the Harlem Globetrotters was for the NBA. I mean, back in the, the days, and we talked, we talked about Abe Cyperstein setting this team up, or it was one of those who you really got it off the ground. I mean, it came out of Chicago. And you know, it was, you know, then they were playing exhibitions you know, before dances. And, you know, it, it, was, it was always very much linked to entertainment. I mean, right from the very start. No, what well, what did you feel the DNA they, was? They were a barnstorming team. It, mm. wasn't, it, wasn't all, it wasn't all about entertainment. You know, they were going around playing anybody that would play them at that particular time. And then, you know, something happened. And back in those days, you know, they used to play in those cold arenas. And uh, they, they didn't have, you know, some of the guys. And as a matter of fact, one of the guys, while they were playing, one of the guys was one of those pot-bellied stoves, and his pants caught on fire. And he started running across the floor, and people started laughing. They thought it was the funniest thing in the world. But he was just trying to keep warm. And that's part of the time when they started doing some of the comedy and the entertainment with the Globetrotters. Did you find that you know, that there's that DNA, you know, that all, all teams and great organizations have? I mean, that sort of interaction and the sort of, I guess, the personal, personal relationships that this team builds with its fans and has always had with its fans. Is that something, do you think, that comes out of being great players or being great entertainers? I think it's a, it's a combination of both, and not just that, being great people. You know, I mean, I've seen a lot of great athletes, uh, tremendous athletes that couldn't deal with people, you know. I mean, and these guys, they did it all. They they played on the rest. They didn't, they, sometimes they didn't play. I mean, they even played in bull arenas, you know, on, on the dirt. But they, they did it because they loved the game and they loved what they were doing. And they, that's why they became the Goodwills Ambassadors. I mean, people love them. And we always say, you have to remember, there's a smile, there's a smile anywhere you go. You have, I think at this point, been to over 90 countries at an estimate since your time. And the Globetrotters have been, I think, the totals in our 124 countries. And that's... That's everywhere. Exactly. I mean, that's pretty much every corner. Never has a team been better named with one eye in its future than the Globetrotters. Um, was, did you get that sense? I mean, a basketball is a game that's always been global, but it's, you know, it's, it's only really the last kind of 25 years, 30 years that it's, it's truly become a game that belongs to the world. How much was that, that sense with you guys that sometimes you were out there selling this game, taking you, spreading the gospel of hoops? I think 100%. The Globetrotters are, are responsible for those countries doing what they do. As you, as you know, uh, the first first basketball the people, the English, the UK saw was the Harlem Globetrotters and any other country over there. I also remember the time that the Dream Team was in Spain. Mm. And some people were asking about the Dream Team. And the guy said, I know Harlem. <laughs> One of the guys said, fans said, I know Harlem. He didn't know who Michael Jordan was, Charles Barkley. He knew who the Harlem Globetrotters were because they laid their groundwork, you know, not just for the NBA, 
but for the European countries as well. Give me some of the highlights. I mean, you've you've been to so many of these places, you know, and some off off the beaten track places as well as the great cities of the world. And where stood out? Where where surprised you with the reaction, perhaps the most? Oh man, let me start with the UK. Uh, my very first year coming to the UK, and we played at Wembley. Uh, we used to call the the court was green. I don't know if you go back that far, but the court out there was a green court. We used to call it the Green Monster, man. But we looked forward to coming to Wembley every 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 night. And and the games were at nine o'clock, so we had the opportunity during the day to see part of the of the country, man. And that was great. And we said uh, the tradition for us was. And I learned this my very first year with the club trials in Europe. We used to go there before the games and get those beans and wieners before the game at Wembley Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> Great that British was cuisine. an absolute treat for us. Yes. And, uh, you know, also one of the highlights for me was getting the opportunity to meet Pope John Paul II. And uh, this was probably, uh, we made him the 75th. He's the 75th Pope. We made, he gave him the number 75 as an honorary Hall of Globetrotters. That was also one of the big highlights of my career. And, man, going to uh, Egypt, seeing the pyramid, going across the Great Wall of China, oh, my goodness. Those are the things people never never forget in their life. And, you know, you think of Paris. When you think of Paris, you think about the Champs-Élysées, uh, the Eiffel Tower, the Moulin Rouge. Who would have thought a guy from a little town in Louisiana had the opportunity to see all those places. Those are some great memories. Has that been, is that part of the, I guess, the unexpected joy of this team? Because I, I've, I've known guys that have played in the British League that have become trotters, and it's, you know, speaking to them, you kind of get the sense it's the opportunity, you know, because there's a lot of players, some like you, who will stay for decades and be part of the furniture, but some who will play for a year or two years. But is that maybe the, the great thing about this is to give the, the opportunities it's given to so many players to meet folk, visit places, and, and do things that you would never normally do, even as a pro? I, I, I think it's a great thing. Uh, you have to also remember that this job with the Harlem Globetrotters uh, uh, creates so many opportunities for these young guys. First of all, you get an opportunity to do what you do and what you love, and that's to play the game of basketball. And if you think about it, you get a chance to travel the world, you see the world, and not just that, you're kind of like Santa Claus. You may <laughs> come around once a year, boy, and you put smiles on people's faces, and you make everybody happy. What else could you ask for? Oh, and, and don't forget, they pay you for that. <laughs> Where was the... Um... You can pick, there may be nowhere, but where was the toughest crowd? Did you ever end up where you thought, they don't quite understand this? <laughs> this is different, this is a spectacle. Uh, well, you know, I, once I was in China, man, it was, it was a difficult time, and, and uh, they were, looked so serious when I was doing the show with the referee. They thought I was a bully, you know, because I was messing with the official. And they thought I was a bully, man. And that was a part of the show where I would throw a little, a cup of water in the audience. And I told my coach, I said, Coach, I don't think this is going to be a good idea. <laughs> because they're not looking too happy. But what had happened was, they at halftime, they explained to people what was going on. And, 
and May 8th. The second half was beautiful, but the first half was a little bit dodgy, as they would say. <laughs> How much, I mean, you not coach the team part of the time. How much practice do you guys do or how do you get ready to you know this this is obviously a show as well how do you prepare Certainly, if you've got a new group this is you know this is a new tour how do you prepare a group for to have this show for the kind of choreography that goes alongside the basketball skills it's a it's a lot of work i must say that uh you know and and a lot of people don't understand that especially if you're the showman, you know, if you're running up and down the floor, talking, trying to make somebody laugh, and then trying to put the ball in the hoop, that's, that's not an easy task. If you think I'm joking, get yourself a, two or three minutes running up and down that floor talking, trying to be funny, and trying to make some baskets, and see how that comes out for you. But these guys and these young ladies we have, they we prepare every day. I mean, we get to the arenas, if the game's at 7 o'clock, we are there at 3 30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, getting ready for the evening. And we work on things that we didn't do well the day, night before. And we continue. And then those that's the time we, we develop new routines. And we're in there a lot. People don't understand that. They think we get there an hour before the game and do what we do and get out of there. That's not true. We're in there three or four hours before the game. And we're there after the game because, as you know, after the game, we do a 30-minute autograph session with the fan because nobody else in professional sport does that but the hard road truckers. It was always Goose Tatum, who's another legend of the team, that kind of was, was credited initially with with adding this this entertainment and the, the, especially the comedy to it all. Um, I mean, com- comic, comic routines are hard and comic timing is, it's a real skill out there. Um, you guys must make each other laugh a lot. <laughs> Yeah, but, but of course. And, you know, speaking of Goose Tatum and, uh, you know, myself, Geese Osby, Metal Lock Lemon, I think we all were, Twiggy Sanders, we all were pretty good showmen in the day. But Goose Tatum was the master. He was the inventor of this thing, being the clown prince of the basketball. And with those long on, man, Goose could wave that ball and, and, and do that thing with that basketball like no other. But then, too, Second to none, Metal Log Lemon, you have to take your hat off to him. He made that hook shot so famous. I've, I've seen Metal Lock sit in one spot and drop three in a row. We just threw him off the bench to him, bam, 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 you know. And uh, so he, he made the hook shot famous. So you got to take your head off to Metal Lock Lemon as well. You've, you've had yourself immortalized as a team in so many ways. I mean, I know there's a new TV show at the minute that's, that's coming in the States that hopefully we'll see over here before too long. But you, you, when you look at some of the portrayals of the team, I mean, does that, does that kind of illustrate the, the fame of this, the impact of this? You know, when I'm, you know, like I said, I remember as a kid watching this cartoon and looking at these guys and thinking, you know, wow, they must be amazing in real life because it felt like they were superheroes. Hey, man, uh, that's a part of it. And uh, unfortunately, I was one of those guys in the second cartoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I was the gizmo man. I was the guy with the big afro that should pull stuff out of my fro. If we needed something, I was the guy. I would go to my fro and pull it out for those guys. As a matter of fact, one of the guys told me once, he said, Sweet Lou, you're better than traveler's check, the stuff I was pulling out of my hair. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, but it, but it's also 
good to portray those things for these kids, you know, and give them something to look forward to. And and the TV show that you mentioned, Play It Forward, uh, it's to introduce the new players, the new generation of players, and give you a little opportunity to see what, what these guys and girls do in their everyday lives. You know, they're not just basketball players. They're entrepreneurs. They're doing different things in their lifestyle. And, but, you know, you got to always have a vehicle. And I think the vehicle is being a basketball player for the Harlem Globetrotters for these players. What do you think the difference is now in the team as it sits today and the organization as it sits today? Because it's, you know, it's changed and evolved and as Tyson, you know, the, the media has evolved, the kind of opportunities. What, what is the biggest shift between your first year in 77 and, you know, here we are so many years later? <laughs> There's a whole lot of difference. Uh, oh, my goodness. Uh, first of all, I don't know if you know, they changed the uniform the last year. So the guys and girls are wearing black uniform. And it's, it's been so many different changes because, you know, one particular time the Globe tries. You know, we didn't change with the time. Now we got all the lights, the glitter, as most people come out to. And, and people love to see that. But you got to remember, we are, we are a team of, uh, what should I say, memories. We create memories. And people, and generational memories, people bring their kids and say, listen, I want you to see what I saw when I was a kid. So we try to keep some of those things around, like the water bucket and the confetti. People never forget that. You know, and they never know which one is coming first. And so when people bring their kids, they sit there and they say, wait, here it comes, here it comes. And then we also try to bring some new stuff to it. And it's a faster game. So it's a faster game. These young athletes, they're jumping higher than we did. And they're a lot faster, a lot stronger. But, you know, some things never change. The basketball is still great. Do you think there's as much of an appeal for players or how do you create that appeal because again you look when you were doing it there you went to switzerland and you had that you know you had a great year let's not undersell it you guys were playing in europe you reached the quarterfinals of, of what's now the euro league and you know you were a great player in european terms but you were part of that pioneering generation who found jobs and opportunities overseas now it's a lot easier certainly if you're a young american player what's the selling pitch to a player today who could get a job in a China, a Switzerland, or, or the UK. Well, you know, uh, it's. I, I think it's it's a it's a thing of preference. It's a thing of preference right now because you know they have, have a lot more opportunities to do things, as you say. The European league is very inviting, and uh, but it just depends on if you want to play at home or if you want to go abroad. Also, the NBA people have to remember everyone wants to play in the NBA. But there's not room for everyone in the NBA. That just isn't. And also, you know, you have to sacrifice in anything you do. And the CBA or the, these these minor league teams that the, the, the NBA have, I mean, the, those guys struggle. I mean, the pay is not that great. But, you know, as you know, it's not that great. And so, if you know, somebody's trying to get in the game and play the game, and get ready to go. The Holland Globetrotters is the place to be. And, you know, you have to also remember, money isn't everything. You know, you got to be happy doing what you do. And I guarantee you, 
90% of these players that play with the Globetrotters are happy because they're getting that opportunity to do what they do. They make people happy. They put smiles on people's faces. And they're touring the world. I'm going to ask you, like, this is probably like, you know, that question where you ask them to pick your favorite child. But did you have a favorite game that you ever played in for the Globetrotters? Because you guys, you know, not only obviously playing the Washington Nationals or, you know, the, the traveling teams, but, you know, you, you also got to play some great teams internationally over the years. Well, I never did. My, when I was playing, they didn't they didn't afford us the opportunity to play against the other teams. Back when they left, like playing against the college all stars, mm. uh, they also played against some of the, as you mentioned, the international team. They didn't afford us that opportunity, but it would have been great. We would have loved it to have done it. But you know, and but now the Washington Generals, they haven't won one since '71. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but they, but but they they've come close. And they've had some pretty good athletes during the course of these years out here. And um, now we try to make sure that the opportunity, when we, when we play against these guys, that the caliber of play is good. And these guys have some great athletes. You get a chance to see them when they come to the U.K. here shortly. They're not bad. They do a pretty good job out there. But you have to always remember one thing. Nobody wants to see the Harlem Globe try to lose. That's like <laughs> shooting Santa Claus. You gotta know that's like shooting Santa Claus. <laughs> well, that, well, there was that one famous game, and you, I think it was '71. I think when you know the, the, the Generals won, and you know it was it was I know it was a game winner, you know, or, or you know, a buzzer beater in that. Um, I'd love to have been in that locker room afterwards. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> and you know, I think. Uh, Louis Rick of the general made that last basket to beat them. And uh, Louis was a great basketball player, as you know. He also played for the world champion Washington Bullets one year before he uh, became a Washington general. So uh, they're not a bad team, but we don't want that to happen. You know, they say history repeats, repeats itself. We don't want that one to come around again. Hi, um, I mean, yeah. Obviously, you know, no one wants to see them lose. But how competitive at times do those? You know, maybe you know we're talking probably first first half rather than second half. But how competitive can those games get sometimes? You're putting ten bowlers out on the floor together. Oh my goodness! That, and, and that's the that's the best part of this. You get a chance to ball. We we play basketball. It's not all comedy. You know, a lot of this, and we. 50-50, actually, and the basketball game gets very competitive. Oh, my goodness. And it's getting better. These guys, and you know we have the four-point shot now, and these guys are going out there every day practicing these long-distance shots because, you know, when you come around and say, man, well, I dropped four four-pointers on you, that's not easy to say. That's not an easy task. And it's still physical. It's a basketball a physical game. And these guys and these girls are so competitive. Hey, Every day it's a fight out there on that basketball floor. But in the end, it's for a good cause, and that's to make some people happy and create some great memories. Do you sense, and I'm sure the answer is yes, and I hope it's yes, do you sense this is, you know, you know 50 years' time, 100 years' time, we're going to still see the Globetrotters going out and doing the thing? Because, it, you know, it feels like something that, that is timeless, especially in a sport that is still growing across the world. I most definitely think in the next hundred years that will still be the world famous Harlem Globetrotters. I mean, uh, you know, it's hard to find good, clean, wholesome family entertainment, and that's exactly what we are. 
and it's, and we're good basketball. It's great basketball as well. So, you know, what else to do? If you're a basketball player, a, a person, and you want, want to see a great basketball game and have fun, where else can you go? But to the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll be here for generations and generations. Even when me and you gone, they'll be still talking about the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> so here's a tough one to, to, to almost let you away with. You could pick five guys out of the NBA just now to be the dream extra, apart from the guys you've got, which are great. But if you had to pick five new guys, take them out of the NBA, which five players would be the best Globetrotters? Well, you know what? Um, I'd have to go back a little bit to do that because, you know, I mean, John Morant would be one of my top pick right now. This young kid is athletic. He's fun to watch. And, you know, a guy like Allen Iverson, I think he would also be one of my picks uh, because he was very entertaining. And, of course, you know, you got to have Mike. You got to have Mike. <laughs> because all the thing, the arrow little sauce that he did, oh, man. It was just great. And, you know, and then, too, Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq made a great Harlem Globetrotter. He's fun. He's 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 a great physical basketball player up under the basket, and sometimes we need that. And then, of course, Magic. Magic's a trickster would come around. Those would be five, my five picks. That would be some team to watch. And yeah, I'm surprised no one ever got Shaq in at the end of his career. You know, maybe there's time. You know, you can, you can still yeah. play a bit. <laughs> um, last one, Lou. For, for kids or parents who listen to this who haven't seen it before, what are they going to expect in the UK over the next few weeks when they come and see the Globetrotters? Now, now, see, when you say that, we my coach used to always say, would ask someone, "Have you seen the Harlem Globetrotters?" They said, "No, I've never seen them." And he said, "Are you from the moon? How could you have not ever seen the Harlem Globetrotters?" You know. But, but you know, when you come see the Globetrotters, you're going to get two hours of fun and entertainment for the whole family and some great basketball. And also, we plan to create some memories for you to take home and remember for a lifetime. So you're going to have a great time. So have them come out and enjoy themselves. Well, I've seen them a few times. I have always enjoyed the memories. It is a great night. Um, and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us, Lou. And... Um, Happy travels when you're next good on the road. All right. Appreciate you. Love to the UK. And I'll tell you where you can see the Globetrotters over the next few weeks. So on Saturday night, they start at Sheffield's Utility Arena. The next night, they're at the Over Arena at Wembley. Then you go Bournemouth, Liverpool, Newcastle, Hull, Cardiff, Brighton. On the 17th, they're at London's O2. And then it all finishes up on the 18th of October at Nottingham's Motor Point Arena. If you want to get your tickets for that, head to bookingsdirect.com. And I'm sure you'll have a fantastic night out. Now, that is it for the MVP cast. Of course, you can get all our episodes via the website at mvp247.com. Of course, we can make it easier for yourself. Subscribe to the podcast and you'll never miss an episode. Just head to your preferred podcast provider. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Another one coming very soon from me, Mark Woods. Thank you so much for joining us, and it's goodbye.